0: Please open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians, and we're going to be picking back up where we left off last week. We'll be picking back up on verse 15, and Lord willing, we are going to finish up uh, the chapter three today, the book of Galatians. The title today is God's Will and testament. And you will see very clearly um, why. Um, And we see as Paul is continuing, if you remember, Paul shared his personal experience of justification by faith. That Paul knew and understood that he was saved based on faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And then it wasn't based on religion, it wasn't based on religious things and rituals and works and all the other things that happen today or back even back then and happen today where people think they can earn God's love by going out and doing good works and keeping these festivals and rituals and all these things that the church has created and think that's what makes them have a relationship with God. No, that makes them have a relationship with a church. That doesn't make you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your Savior. And you have to make sure you understand that. And that's what Paul is having is, is taking a very um, uh, lawyer kind of approach here in the letter and bringing out some arguments to help you and I and others. In this case, these Judaizers, these Jewish believers who believe that, yes, you needed to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you also had to do the circumcision. To earn, to really earn God's love, you had to keep the dietary laws, or you didn't, you know, didn't really show or, you know, the relationship with God's not quite right. You need to only can go on the Sabbath and all these things that the religion was adding back on the people versus understanding that they've been set free from the law, that they have a relationship with Jesus based on grace, not based on religiosity, not based on works. So he had his personal experience. If you remember that, the justification by faith in Jesus Christ, we saw that in chapters 1 and 2 of Galatians. And then we moved on to the second part, which is Paul's using doctrinal explanation of the word of God to help them understand. He's going to use the word of God to help explain the things, the truths of God. And we saw that, and we'll see that continue from chapters 3 and into chapters 4. But we see also that in, at the end of Galatians, chapters 5 and 6, he will finally bring conclusion using practical exercise or practical application to help you and I tell you and I how to enjoy God's grace and freedom in our daily life as a Christian. Because so many Christians today live in bondage and religiosity. They, they live in these, these these this structure that causes them... To not freely worship God and not to freely be able to have this relationship with God. They feel like they have to follow the do's and don'ts and this religiosity to be able to stay in good standing with God. Even though God died for them on the cross. (laughs) Before you even knew God. Even before you even accepted Jesus Christ as your relationship. He died for you while you were still still a sinner. And it's only by grace that he allows us to even have that personal relationship a choice that we get to have he says here's a free gift of salvation do you want to choose me do you want to follow me just choose me choose this day who you shall follow pick up your cross and follow me what a choice that God by his grace has given us to be able to have amen amen are you tracking with me all right so we see here that today we're going to see the third part of chapter 3. We knew there was three parts to this. We saw certainly Paul's personal argument. We saw the scriptural argument that Paul used to help them understand. Today we will finish up chapter 3 with logical argument from Paul. And, he, and it's, he's taking it from a will and testament perspective. It's like he's going to use some really practical things here for us. Because remember, Abraham was the, the example that Paul used for us. And to bring them back, because these Judaizers were coming back and saying, well, remember Moses. And remember what God has done through Moses' life. And Moses, Moses was given the Ten Commandments, and we need to follow the Ten Commandments. We need to follow the law, and we need to do this, and that's how it is. But Paul said, wait, 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 wait. Let me take you back to the beginning of time. Let's go back to the original covenant here. Let's go back to what God's design was, and that's to take you back to Abraham, the promise that God gave Abraham. That's what we need to go back to, based on a relationship, based on faith, not by the law. And so Paul, as we saw last time, we've, it, God spoke to Abraham, and Abraham believed God, and because he believed God, he ch- made a decision to choose to trust God in what he said he was going to do. It was accounted to him for righteousness. And then he continued, if you remember in chapter 3, that God would justify the nations, all the nations by faith. Not just the Jewish nation, but all the Gentile nations as well. That was really radical, what Paul was saying here. And that no one is justified by the law. You cannot keep the law. You can't work hard enough. To, you can't keep all the religious rituals and, and Passovers and all the things there to actually earn righteousness. You're, you're not good enough. You're not perfect. But the just shall live by faith. And those who follow the works of the law are under the curse, remember. You're under this curse, this daily curse of saying, I better be good enough, I better work hard enough, I better do enough good things so that God will love me. But that is a curse because you and I know that we cannot be good enough. We can't earn his love. And Christ has redeemed us from the curse of law, we saw. Paul said you have been redeemed. Christ has redeemed you. Christ has purchased you. did he become how did he free us from that curse we see in the scriptures he became a curse for us he went to the cross willingly and freely and took on the curse of sin on his shoulders and paid it with his own life so that you could have From the penalty of our sin. From the curse of our sin. And once you believe that. You can be set free. You can finally have a life. For eternity. With God. Do you believe that today? That Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That he rose from the dead third day and he lives wanting that relationship with you so desperately that's why he created you and I he created you and I in the womb of your mother to have a personal relationship with you not through a religion not through a church system of or organization but a personal relationship one on We can receive that promise of the Spirit through the faith that you saw in verse 14 of chapter 3. This blessing is ours in Jesus on faith and not on the principle of law. And we need to stay free from legalism. Remember, God promises to promise is received, not earned. And we have been left a will and testament that will and testament the new testament the new testament of grace and so paul starts here in verse 15 of chapter 3 he says brethren i speak in the manner of men from a human nature from a human perspective i'm going to give you i'm just going to talk to you like just you and i like humans though it is only a man's covenant Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. So he starts off by being, from a logical perspective, he starts off by something that's very simple and relatable for them, the Greeks, the Romans. They were very, very um, uh, organized in their legal system, just like we are today. Many of our laws come from that, that uh, from those nations of past. So he starts off by saying, "Okay, let's take it from a from a will perspective here. Everyone knows we should have a have a will. Why? Because if you don't have something written down, a will that shows a relationship between you and your offspring, your descendants or a relationship between you and the things that you have and own and what should happen to those if you shall die or not. So if you and your wife dies, what will happen to your children? What's going to happen with your house? What's going to happen with your possessions or any wealth or accumulation that you have? What's going to happen to it? You have to have a will to know. If not, the state would take over. The state would determine what would happen with your children. The state would determine what would happen with your money. They would happily absorb that into their wonderful business plan. Of spending your money for the country. But the Will and Testament. He says, this covenant, this human speaking, even if it is a covenant among men, the covenant, once you have signed, sealed, notarized, and they did it back then in the in the Greek culture, the Roman culture, that's exactly what they did then, is exactly what we do today. Once that's been sealed, No one can add or delete from that. It's set. That's that's the law. That's what's going to take place. That's what's the plan. It's like you and I. If you have a will and testament today, you should have a clause in there that says if anyone in your family tries to change or annul it or change it in any way, they are actually not allowed to touch any of the uh, of anything that's said within the will. So Paul is saying here. God has set a covenant with Abraham. As we will see verse 16. Now to Abraham in his seed. Where the promise is made. He does not say and to seeds. As of many. But as of one. And to your seed who is Christ. So he makes it very clear. We have a will here. You understand how that all works. You're going to write down what it's supposed to what the promises are. You're promised your kids are going here. Your wealth is going here. It'll be split among your children or whatever it may be. It's been signed, sealed, delivered, and notarized. No one touches it. No one can add to it. No one can annul it. It's set. When it comes time, to open up that will, you open the will, you read what it says, and then everything is divvied out and done according to that promise. Paul is saying here, this promise didn't start with Moses. It started with God speaking to Abraham and to give him Abraham and his seed. Now, in your Bible, it should be a capital S. Seed meaning deity, deity. Who is who? He doesn't make any question. You don't have to sit there and go, what does he mean by seed? He says it right at the very end of 16. Who is Christ, the Messiah? He went to Abraham, Abram, directly, changed his life, renamed him to Abraham, and said, Abraham, here's the promise for you. I got a couple of things for you, but one specifically, my will is to bring the Messiah by you through your lineage, by your seed. It's going to start with your descendant, and it's going to go through, and as you go back and you read the scriptures, you're going to see back, and even in Genesis 22, 18, where Abraham and his seeds were given that, that, was given that promise to Abraham. God promised Abraham that in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God said that. Not man. God said, this is my will for your life. This is my will for the nations of all people in this world. This is my plan and this is my promise. And when God makes a promise, no one can annul it or change it. Not even you. I know you think you have control over your life and you know what's best for your life, but God knows best. And once you get that settled in your mind, it's much easier to live a life as a Christian because you'll no longer be struggling and wrestling with God. And if you wrestle, you will lose, I assure you, and it will hurt. We've also seen that in scriptures as well. But Paul observes that this is a singular for seed, not the plurality here. He's made it very, very clear to these Judaizers that it's not by the law. It's by the fact that God made a promise to Abraham that the seed, the Messiah, Christ, Jesus Christ, is coming through by his seed. Now, keep in mind, remember, Abraham was 99 years old. Sarah, his wife, was in age. She was past the ability to have children. He was past the ability have these children but God says I'm making a promise and I will fulfill that promise now you know the story here's God telling you directly the promise that he's going to allow you and your wife to have a baby and you're like blown away like this can't be possible from a humanistic perspective it's true it's impossible but with God all things are possible Remember, when God makes a promise, he is faithful to complete that. It doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are happening around you. When God gives a promise, he is faithful to complete that. It's just, it doesn't matter what you and I think. We just have to trust and believe what God's promise is. Now, Abraham, he went for a little while, as you know the story, but what happened? He thought God needed help. And he said, you know, I think we could probably, Hagar, she can still have babies. And you see how messed up all that has turned out to be. But God still fulfilled it regardless, right? Sarah had the baby. The promise, and we see the lineage all the way down. And the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came just as exactly what God said would happen. Verse seventeen, and this I say that the law, which was four hundred and thirty years later, cannot annul the covenant was con- that was confirmed before by God in Christ. That it should make the promise of no effect. So here we are. God gives Abraham the promise: "You're the Messiah is c- going to come." 430 years later, we see in the scriptures back in Genesis, he refers to over 400 years later. We see that the promise God made to Abraham now comes to Moses and establishes a temporary covenant, the law. And he says to us here in verse 17, I'm bringing Moses into the picture. I'm giving him a covenant, the old, te- the, the, the law. And I'm giving him some things to, to outline for the people to understand. But keep this in mind. It does not annul the original will and testament of God's promise to Abraham. It doesn't change it. It just brings to light. As we will see, Paul will explain logically why it brings to light. Why we need Christ. And why we need the Savior in our life. And he says right here, when you, it's like a baby. I'll give you the best example the Lord has shown me. When you have a baby, does the baby need rules and regulations? Does it need to have... No. It just needs to be nourished. It needs to be fed. It needs to be comforted and protected. And, it, and it's there. It does, a baby does not need rules and laws. It just needs to be protected and nourished. But when you get to that 18-month status, Oh, watch out. The will of that baby starts, that, that, that sinful nature starts coming arise. And as a parent, if you don't bring rules and regulations and the law in order of your house, and nip that in the bud and make sure that 18-month-old year knows from the very beginning that he or she does not rule this house, that you rule the house, If you don't do set that at 18 months early, then you are going to have a lifetime of major challenges with your children. God knows how to raise children better than you, okay? Come to that conclusion. When he says don't spare the rod, you'll be spoiling the kid, right? You know and I know when you're that sinful nature— Everyone says, oh, it's such a beautiful little baby. Oh, look at how gorgeous. Oh, he's just, oh, just an angel. No, that's a wicked little sinner. Wait for 19 months to come. It'll come out. It's only a matter of time it's coming out. But if you don't set the rules, if you don't set the law in your house, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is how God says we are to live. And if you don't start that in the beginning and say, no, 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 no. Mom and dad rules this house. You do not have a say. Well, I'm not going. Well, then it's time for discipline because you have got to get in line. Because when mom and dad says something, you move, you move. Oh, but pastor, well, I'll be suppressing my child's free will and to learn and to grow and to experience. That junk is permeated into the, the church, let alone into society. And the books that were written about having a child to have free, let them freely explore. Well, the scripture tells us. If you don't have guidelines and boundaries on your children, what's going to happen? They will go astray. They will go into chaos. The law of entropy will be clearly seen in your children. Went from the ideal state of a baby into a state of chaos called teenager. And it is going to ravage your household and your life. And the scripture says if you do not bring the law in your house, it will bring shame to the mother. It will bring such... Deep sorrow within the family, and it will destroy the family. So parents, I encourage you. Do it God's way. You'll be blessed. Children will be a blessing to you. You don't lay the law down early and help them understand how they are to live a godly life and how to have a, a reverence and a fear of God. They are going to rule your life as a parent and you are going to be so sadly having to live that life or watch. Of course, yes. They get to the age of 18. They get to the age of they're an adult. They can actually live. They can probably support themselves. They can get a job. They can make decisions. They are no longer under the law of your house. So what happens is you've trained them up of the ways of the Lord. You've shown them how to live a godly life. You've sat there and say, no, no, don't touch that. You, no, 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 can't have that. No, 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 we're going to grandma's house. No, you don't touch that. You know, you have rules and you constantly as a parent. No, 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 no. And that's the first word your kids learn, isn't it? No, 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 no. But guess what? It is well worth it because as they grow and mature, they will learn, go from mom and dad said no, and that's all they need to know, to all of a sudden they grow to a point where they can learn go from going to no to the reasoning and understanding why that was a no or why that was a yes. And as they get to the point where they are now moving out into their own home, their own Life, their own thing, they are going to not forget everything you've poured into their lives of living a godly life. And they're now going to obey or do what you've taught them, not because mom and dad from the other side of the country told them you still can't do it while they're at college, but they're going to do it out of a relationship, out of love for God and for you as a parent of what you've poured into their lives during those formative years. That is what we're seeing here. That that God is taking a baby Christian, as someone who's there, they're, they're, God says, I'm telling Abraham, this is how you're going to live, and it's going to be living by faith. You're going to just trust me. And as I speak and direct your life, you're just taking steps of faith each day, one day at a time. And as I give you the next day, I'll give you more. I'll show I'll speak to your heart. I'll show you the direction. I'll put the desires in your heart. And you're going to live by faith, not by sight. And then God said, okay, my people, because of sin, I'm going to have to bring in the law as we will see we're going to, Because I love them so much, I'm going to bring the law in to bring some boundaries because I need to train them up on the understanding of who I am. It didn't change the promise to Abraham that you will live by faith. But the rules, the law, is going to help bring to light the sinful nature, the rebellious nature, the selfish nature in our lives that needs to change that's why the laws are you didn't even know you were speeding how many times have you uh, honey, what's your, what do you how fast are you going, I don't know what the speed limit is sweetheart, and all of a sudden you come on a sign and the sign says 55 and you're doing 65 well I didn't know Well, you now know there's a sign. What are you going to do about it? You're going to bring that speed down to what? 55 miles an hour. Because the law just presented to you that you were going faster than you should have been going. See, the law brings to light what maybe you don't know consciously. But he brings it to your conscious of what, and then you have to then be obedient to what God reveals to you. Why? Why? Why is that? Why? Why? Why bring the God having to bring 400 years over 400 years later, this this covenant with and use Moses to bring in the law? Well, verse 18 says, for if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So we know that it's by promise It is an inheritance offered to Abraham was on the was it was. Uh, an understanding that based on faith is not based on the law. He brings the law in to bring the light to the people, his people, to show that they need to correct, they need to change, they need to come back to God, they need to trust him by faith, they need to come back to what he's doing. And if you see there at the end of that verse, he says, God gave it to Abraham, meaning gave in the original perfect tense of the original language means a permanent he gave a permanent gift a a gift of grace to them to be able to live by faith and he's bringing again he's bringing to light to these Judaizers who would constantly come back and quote Moses about the law to remember they were coming into these Christian Gentiles and saying yes you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior but you also need to keep the law of Moses and Paul saying, no, 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 you don't have to do it. You're adding to it. That's not what the original promise is. That's not what it is, and that doesn't no longer up, uh, apply any longer. It, it, he, God came to fulfill the law, not to, to, to do any other than to bring about what God's plan was from the very beginning, which was the promise of living in a relationship with God by promise of faith, justification of faith. But now we see he continues here in his argument, his logical argument. And he says, verse 19, because he's anticipating what people are going to say. Well, if the law is not what we're supposed to be focused on, then why was even the law even given? What was the purpose of the law? And he, and he answers that. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of the transgressions till the seed should should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator so paul gives them three reasons why the law was even brought that right here in that verse just three reasons the first one is it was added because of the transgressions part of the reason the law was given was to restrain the transgression of men who thoroughly clearly revealed of god's holy standard God's holy standard was very clear. They understood what God's standard was. But because they didn't understand or they weren't willing to acknowledge, God said, okay, I'm going to bring the law. And the law is going to draw a line here and says, now if you step over this law, you know you clearly are going against my standard. You're going against my will. So he brought the law so he could draw a line so you and he or you and I or in this case, These Judaizers, the people, could understand. "Uh Uh-oh, thou shalt not murder. We can't murder. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not have any other gods. Because remember, in the Gentile world, they worship multiple gods. We're not to worship and give honor to anybody except the Messiah, Jesus Christ. No saint are we to, to worship. No man, no woman, no nobody in a position of authority, or certainly not a pastor or a reverend or a priest, or none of that. The Bible is very clear we are to worship and honor and glorify Jesus Christ, the Savior. Because it is critical, because he had to make that, because transgressions is when you know what something is wrong, and you do it anyway. It's like a child. Parent says to the child, do not, do not touch those cookies that I just made. I know they smell good, they look good, but don't touch the cookies. If you did not tell them not to touch the cookies, they may just automatically do what the flesh would like to do, and which was what? Eat mom's cookies. The flesh is natural, it's gonna eat the cookies. It's mom's cookies. These are great cookies. But if mom sets the rule, it says, don't touch the cookies until after dinner. And you deliberately go and eat the cookies before dinner. Now you've transgressed, right? There's a transgression. You have deliberately gone over the line that God says, or your mom in that case said not to touch. She promised you the cookie will be for you in due time. After dinner, do you trust? That's the question. Or is your flesh wants to rule? So the first one is, it was added because of the transgressions of the people. They had to have a, a line that they needed to understand. Don't go over that line. If you do, you're going to be sitting and going against God's uh, God's will. You don't want that. The second one is, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Again, seed, capital S, meaning the Messiah. It was given until Jesus Christ comes. There was a time there. There was a, there was a law was met to prepare us for the work of the Messiah. It was given till the seed Jesus should come. It, it isn't the law of Moses is revoked when Jesus came, but Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it in Matthew 5.17. Instead, the law of Moses is no longer of the grounds of approaching God. Remember, the law was given to them until the Messiah came. to say, this is how you are to approach a holy, perfect God. You just can't come any way you want to. You can't just decide how you want to worship God. There's, There's guidelines, there's boundaries of how to worship a holy and perfect God. You just can't do it the way you want to do it. You don't want it my way, you want it God's way. And so he gave the law so that there was a very clear how we are to approach God during that time until Jesus Christ comes. And then it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator, right? So we see the third reason that the law was given in an inferior way compared to how God gave the promise to Abraham. Keep this very subtle. God spoke to Abraham directly and gave him the promise. We know in the scriptures that many times we teach, right? Some people we, 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 we don't know the scriptures specifically, and we say God gave Moses the law. That's not true. God used angels to speak to Moses and give the actual directions of that. We see that in Acts 7:53 and Hebrews 2:2. 2, 2. So we see that according to the, the, the way God used there up on the, the, the law was delivered to Moses on Mount Sinai by the hands of angels. Angels were the go-between, the mediator for Moses when he received the, the law from God. Yes, he was in his God's presence, but God used angels as be the deliverer of speaking and giving to that. And we see again, like I said in, in Acts 7. So that's why Paul says it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. It wasn't directly between God and man. He used, in this case, angels to communicate that. In verse 20, now a mediator does not mediate for only one, right? So you have a husband and wife who's at odds. They're looking and they're trying to resolve something in their marriage. Many times... You would want those two people to, to work together and to make that out. So sometimes people need a mediator, a third party, to make that happen. In this case, God said to make the law, which is inferior to the promise God gave to Abraham. He used a mediator, angels, to make that happen. But Paul says here, but God is one. He doesn't need a mediator. He doesn't need a a pastor to help you to communicate with God under the new covenant under by faith justification by faith you and I get to go directly to God and speak to him we don't have to go through someone else we confess our sins to him directly not through someone else we don't ask for forgiveness through someone else we go to God directly and ask for forgiveness We don't ask through someone else to get direction for our life. You go to God directly and ask, God, what do you have for my life? What do you want me to do in my life? We have a direct communicate. God is, is one. He doesn't need a mediator to do that. Jesus Christ, God, is our mediator. He is the one that does it all. He makes the way. I am the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. So Moses needed a mediator between himself and God. But we don't need a mediator because between us and Jesus. He is our mediator. The law is a two-party agreement brought by mediators, but salvation in Jesus Christ by faith is received by a promise verse 21 is the law then against the promises of God certainly not for if there has been a law given which could have given life truly righteousness would have been by the law the law is not evil God gave the law it's not evil at all it was used for the purposes for God's purpose. It doesn't oppose God's promise. But the problem with the law is found in its inability to give strength to those who desire to keep it. The law doesn't give you strength. The, the law could give you life, could give you strength, then it could have brought righteousness. But the law of Moses brings no life. Just because you're following the law doesn't bring you spiritual life. It simply states the commands it tells you tells us what to keep and not to keep and tells us the consequences if we break the command that God gave us it's just a road sign for us but in 2 Corinthians as we went through 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and chapter 4 you know and I know the glorious picture of that new relationship that the Lord has established With you. Directly. And so Paul continues in verse 22. He says but the scripture. Has confined all under sin. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ. Might be given to those who believe. So here Paul paints. A picture of imprisonment. He's going to be. And he's going to lay this out. That we're confined. We're locked up. We're, our sin locks us up like we're in prison and we cannot get out from it. We don't have the strength to do it. We don't have the ability to do it. You're not smart enough to do it. No one else can help you. You're in prison. You're confined by sin. That's what Paul's saying here. The bars of the cell are sin keeping us confined. And the scripture puts us in the prison because it pointed out our sinful condition. So we sit there, imprisoned by our sin. And the law cannot help us, because the law has put us actually in prison, because it showed us that how we were sinful simple people. But understand what he says here. The promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. How do you get out of jail? How do you get out of imprisonment of your sin? You know how many times in counseling someone who would come to me and says, Pastor, I cannot give up the drug. I can't get out of the pornography. I can't get over my anger. I can't get over. Name it in, fill it in. And you've tried, and you've read the books. You've the counseling. you tried everything to get that sin out of your life. But it seems to continue to dominate you. You're in prison by sin. Paul is saying, God is saying to you, to be able to be set free from the jail of sin of your life. The only way is by faith, putting your trust, turning your life over to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Choose to believe. It's a choice. It's a decision. I trust Jesus. decision and then every day you continue to live based on that decision you don't turn back you don't look back if you choose to think you should move back you just know i made that choice 10 years ago five years ago two months ago one month ago one week ago today i make that choice and my life was changed i was set free saw through these bars of sin there's no chance of a jailbreak. instead an offer is made to the warden himself that oversees and is in control of those prisoners to simply open the door and allow you to walk out but you have to acknowledge you are confined that you are a sinner that you are dead in your trespasses, you must come to a point in your life where you say, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm locked up and I'm going to die here if someone doesn't free me. And I need help. And I need someone to free me. And then what happens is when you acknowledge that you are confined, that you deserve, you deserve to be in the cell. You know that you're a sinner. You know that you have these wicked thoughts and these wicked actions. You know you've gone against everything the law has said. And then you say to the Lord, the warden, and ask him to free you. And then the prosecutor accuses the warden of not being just. How can you let Corey out of that jail? He's such a wicked sinner. And the devil loves to do that. And the warden simply points out that the freed prisoner's sentence was completely fulfilled, paid for, done with, and he, the warden himself, did it for me. I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful Jesus said, and continues to say, "Satan, you can throw all kinds of condemnation and all kinds of stuff about about my about Corey, but I paid for it all. Not only is he out of jail, not only is he free, but if you go check the records, there's no indication that he was ever in jail." There is no record in heaven. Oh, some of us might have a record here on this earth. And some of us may have been in jail and have a record. But how how beautiful and wonderful it is. Under God's way, my record is completely erased clean. There is no sign that I was ever in this prison of sin has been wiped away as white as snow. That's what God does under by his grace. The law doesn't do that. Verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. So here's this imprisonment that we, before faith came, before the new covenant came, before that that God's promise of, of faith coming fulfillment, we were kept under a guard. A guard kept an eye on us. Before we were saved by faith, before we lived our lives by faith, we were kept under guard by the law. Scripture has confined, as we see here in in the earlier scripture, the scripture has confined all under sin. sin. It actually protected us. Did you know that? God gave us the law to protect you and I from ourselves and from this world. So the question is, how did the law protect us? It protects protect us, us by showing us God's heart. God revealed his heart and said, this is how you are to live. This is the right way you are to live. He gives you direction, right? It protects us by showing us the best way to live. Not only do I tell you how to live, but how to, what is the best way to actually live that life out? It protects us by showing what should be approved and disapproved among men. It protects us by providing a foundation of civil law. That is how God provides a guard for you and I. He protects us with the law. The law of Moses prepared us to come to Jesus by the way it reveals God's character and the way it exposed our sin to us. whole purpose of the law is to bring us to Jesus. And that's why as we present to people who are not of the faith, those who do not know the law, they don't know the heart of God, they don't know how to live a life on this earth, and not only know how and to live it, but do it in a right way. We are needing to be equipped by God to make sure we present that to them in the right way. That God loves them so much that he didn't want us to wander in this world to destroy ourselves. Remember, remember, God is gracious. Remember, people lived in the early days. If you go back to Genesis in the early part, you people were living six, seven, eight, nine hundred years old. Got to a point where, remember, after the days of Noah, and they started as the age and population started growing. What was happening? It was a very wicked world. Those sinful hearts lived for nine hundred years to, or eight hundred or six hundred years to really refine evilness, and it was so evil God couldn't even find. Only a family to be actually be saved from it. Everyone else had to be destroyed in the the, in the flood because the evil had gotten so matured and so wicked. It was after the flood that he said, "Now I'm going to reduce those six, seven, eight hundred and eight hundred kind of years of life. We're going to bring that down to seventy because I can't allow someone's heart that's not following mine." To allow it to get any more wicked than 70 years old. <laughs> 70, 80. Because it can mature, it can get really ugly. But by God's grace, he said, I'm gonna limit that until I bring you home and and come back. And create the new heavens and the earth. Reset things back the way I designed them. Not only did I have a guard to protect you, using the law to do that, but look at 34, or 24 and 25. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But at, but after faith has come, we no longer under a tutor. Remember, back in those days, many times the children would be m- nourished and taken care of by the mother until they're weaned off and then that child was then handed over to a tutor or over to a custodian over to uh, patagogos, patagogos as a person who was then to raise that child up to teach them to take them everywhere for the parents all the way until they're at an age of, uh, of an adulthood where they would then come back and be placed back in within the family in a position where they then don't need anymore a guardian. They didn't need a nanny anymore. But this person, this tutor, was a slave within the household. That slave had the ability to not only train them up, take care of them and clothe them and, and feed them and make sure they get to the tutor or get him to the training up and the teachings and they would wait for them and when the child came out of school or out of the from those experts of teaching the children up they brought them back and then they would drill them what did you learn today in school how do you apply that let's make sure we do this and they made sure that child was trained up and prepared for adulthood the tutor So God says the law is like that. I give the law to bring a tutor to train them up. Here is the guidelines. Here's what you need to know. Here's the right, the wrong, the good, the bad. This is everything you need to learn as a child. And when they get to a point where you're old enough and have grown up, you're not going to leave and walk away from all that training and all that teaching and all that nourishment, all the things that this tutor did poured into your life, but now you take it and you live it out. You no longer need a tutor. You have a direct relationship in the position as a son or daughter within the family to do what you're supposed to do. And no one's there to help you to do that. You're old enough to exercise that that, uh, that training or that abilities or, acti- or the things that God has instilled in your life. The law just brings to light the things that you and I need to know and to understand. Sometimes people say, well, then I'm not going to follow the law. I don't need the law. I can live however I want to live. But think about the law as a couple of things. Look at it as a, from a mirror perspective. You walk up to the mirror and no one in the whole day told you you had something stuck between your green between your teeth you walk up in front of the mirror and you look at the mirror and all of a sudden you realize i got something stuck between my teeth i need to get it out the mirror just brings to light what is something not right that you don't is not right did the mirror take that green thing out of your out of your tooth for you no You walk up and you don't even realize you're dirty and spotted and things are on your face and your hair. You wake up in the morning, you walk in and you look at the mirror and you realize, I am in chaos. I need to do something with this face. I need to get in a shower. I need to comb my hair. The mirror does not clean you up. The law does not clean you up. It only reveals that you need to be clean. That's what a mirror does. That's what the law does. I can put a glass of water. And you'll go, oh, that water looks so good. And I say, here, take this spoon. Just turn it around and around and just swirl it in the water. And all of a sudden you see the sediment starts coming up. The little floaties start coming up. And you're like, whoa, I'm about to, I, I almost drank that water. Will the spoon clean the water for you? The spoon doesn't clean the water for you. The spoon only revealed the sediment, the dirt that was already in the water. The law, God gave the law just to stir up the sediment to show we have sin in our life and we need to be cleansed. But it's going to be only a savior that can clean. spoon the mirror doesn't clean and that's why the law was presented Paul is saying you have to understand this that right therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight for the for by the law is the knowledge of sin Romans 320 because of the law brings about wrath for where there is no law there is no transgressions Romans 4:15 it just Brings to light what we need to know, and to then ask for God's help to cleanse us. And then Paul continues in verse 26. He says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. All of you. You you Jewish believers, you Gentile believers, all the nation, anyone who gives their life to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. See, these Judaizers were coming in and saying to these Gentile believers, you need to add the law to your life. You need to be obedient to the law. You need to follow it to a T. If not, then you're not saved. You don't have a right relationship with God. And Paul saying, wait, 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 No. All of you are the sons of God because of faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You can't add to it. You can't annul it. You can't add it. You can't delete from it. That is truth. That's what you need to believe and understand and move forward with. And that you're standing before God is based on faith. It's by the grace of God that he allows us to be able to come. And that is how it is. And he sees you and I as sons and daughters of God. the law and to keep the law and to try to observe the law to its perfection is just like the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23 and look at what what it got them. And because we can consider ourselves as sons and daughters of God because of our faith in Jesus Christ that is the standing that allows us to be In adopted into the family of God. For as many of you were baptized into Christ. Here Paul uses the picture of baptism. Paul illustrates what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't say we were baptized into water. That's not what saves you. But baptized into Christ Just as as in water baptism, a person is immersed, fully immersed into water, so when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we were immersed into Jesus. So many Christians today seem content with just dipping their big toe in the water. Oh, I want to experience God, but let me just put my big toe, that's all I want. I don't want to be fully immersed into Jesus. I just want a little bit of Jesus. But God wants us to be fully immersed into Jesus, not sprinkled, not just be part of us by a little dipping. But when a person is immersed in water, you don't even see the person much anymore. You mostly see water. For our lives. He wants us to be so immersed into Jesus that we do not see us very much. He you only see God in your life. That is what he wants us to have in our life. When someone looks at your life, they see Jesus, not your flesh, not your sinful nature. And it should be stressed that this is the baptism that really saves us. Our immersion into Jesus. If a person isn't baptized into Christ, he could be dunked a thousand times in water and it will not have any eternal change of their life. But if a person has been baptized into Christ, then he should follow through and do what Jesus told him to do I want you, Jesus. I need you to c- come into my life and I need you to fill and just do- take over my life. I want to die of myself. I want you to live for me. And when you've made that commitment, you've asked for that forgiveness. God, I'm so sinful. I need you to come in and just, I know you've paid the penalty of my sin. I just, I'm going to trust, I'm going to believe you. Then he says, one of the first things I want you to be obedient to me for is we see in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 says, then go get baptized. Get fully immersed in water because it will be your outward expression of what has already taken place in your heart. You're fully immersed. Into Christ, but Paul says, You have put on Christ. So, another way of expressing this immersion in Jesus is to say that we have put on Christ. It's, it's in the original language, the phrase has been like putting on a suit, putting on a, a, a clothes where you're clothed of your clothes of, of, of the old clothes, your old nature, your old self is now taken off. And you have put on Christ. You have put on his clothes. His righteousness. He's cleaned you up. When they look at your life. And you see what you're wearing. They're going to say. Those are Jesus' clothes. I know what brand you're wearing. It is not man's brand. But you are wearing Jesus' brand, and everyone can look at your life and know who clothed you. Does that speak of your life? Because how we dress has a real impact. It really has an impact on how we think and act. Oh, I, I, I remember the first day I put on a suit. When you put on a military clothes, you get to put those clothes on. You got out of your sweats, you put your military clothes on, and it was like, you stand taller. There's something about putting on that that, that 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 uniform. And when I took off the uniform and I went into business, there was something when you put the suit on and you put the tie on and you're getting ready to go to the wedding. Whatever it may be that you're putting on those clothes, there's something about a presence about that. And people go, ooh, where you going? And immediately identifies, you're going to work, you're going to the prom, you're going to, going to a wedding. Immediately people know based on what you're wearing. And how we dress has a real impact on how we appear to others. We also need to know how to dress appropriately for each occasion. Paul says to us, your appropriate clothing for each day is to put on Christ. People should see that you belong to him by looking at your life. You should live with an awareness that you are adorned. You're clothed with Jesus. If you're a child of God, you just can't go out and live however you want to live. You can't just act and behave and talk any way you want to. If you're truly immersed in Jesus, you will, and everything about you will reflect that relationship as a child of God. That's what Paul's saying here. And every day you must, and I must choose to put on Christ. It's a choice. And he finishes up here. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So he says, if you're fully immersed in Christ, you're putting on Christ. There is a changed life that takes place. You're no longer separate. You are separate individuals, but you do not see yourselves in disunity, but in unity. He says, there is neither now Jew nor Greek, even though they're still Jew and Greek. He wouldn't say they that went away. But he says, But when you are all wearing and immersed in Christ, you're all putting on the clothes of Christ, there shouldn't be a distinction, you shouldn't look at your life and say, Oh, you're a Jew. Oh, you're you're a Greek. No, no, you're a male, you're a female. No, you're you're a slave, you're free. No. You are a child of God. That's your identity. That is who you are now. You're in unity as one. Oh, I only hang out with just the Jewish people or just the Gentile people or just the males or just the females or just the slaves or just the the, the free. No, we're united. Think about just in this little congregation that if it wasn't the fact that we're all immersed in Jesus or clothed in Jesus, we would not be together today. Because we're so diverse, we're, there's no commonality for us. We wouldn't stick together, we wouldn't be in unity. But we're united in Christ, we're in the same family, we're, we're sons and daughters of the high King. That is what Paul is saying here. You are the seeds that God told Abraham from the seed. You would become part of that and being, as he says here, Abraham's seed or heirs according to that promise. The differences are still there. Paul knew there was still a difference between a Jew and a Greek. And an evangelistic approach might be different in how you approach them. And we understood that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The slave still had a daily obligation to obey his master. Though he may be equal in Jesus. Their brothers, the master and the slave are now brothers in Christ but they still have their roles and responsibilities that separate them or differentiate them. There's still different roles between male and female. They're in the home and in the church. We see that in 1 Timothy 2 and Ephesians 5. Though they're equal in standing before God. We're equal. Just different in role and function. But just remember We're all the same in standing before God through faith in Jesus Christ. You are all one in Christ Jesus. But these Judaizers were causing division. Remember, the Jews back prior to Christ, they used to have a daily prayer that says, Oh God, I'm so glad I'm Jew. Oh, God, I am so glad that I am free and not a slave. Oh, God, I am so happy that I am a male and not a female. Can you imagine that prayer that guy is saying out loud and his wife's in the kitchen? Can you imagine hearing that? But Christ brings unity, equality. Look at any nation around this world. Where Christ is the center of that nation, there is unity and equality between male and female and all the above. You go look at a nation where you don't have Christ, you see how people treat, how males treat women. How masters treat their slaves. How the division between the the different ethnic groups take place. But you go to a nation that is united in Christ, you have unity. That we are in Christ. And our lives need to reflect that we are in Christ. Because we find our place in eternity because we are the sons and daughters of God. Our eternity is set for us. We know where we're going. We're just waiting for anticipation of when he takes us home and be in his presence. If anyone says, I don't know what's going to be my future, then you need to come talk to me because I need to for you to understand what the Word of God says because your eternity as a child of God is set. We find our place in society because we are brothers and sisters in the family of God. So many people say, I don't know where I, my place in society is. I Because what you've done is you've set your life and base it upon something other than your relationship with Jesus Christ. I used to do that. My place in society is the military. And all I could do is relate to the military. And everything I did was all revolved around the relationships of just the military. And then I got born again and all I'm so thankful went away. And then it was all now unity. It didn't matter if I was with someone in the military or someone who has never even heard, even understand anything about the military. I was united with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I knew my place in society. And so I didn't have a problem transitioning out of the military because I was with the family of God. That's what dominated my life. I didn't have to segregate just to feel part of society. And we find our place in history. Because we are part of God's plan of the ages and related spiritually to Abraham by our faith in Jesus Christ. Do you realize you're part of God's will and testament? You have such a promise from the high king. Amen? Father, we again thank you and praise you for this morning. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy upon our lives, Lord. We thank you for making us And allowing us, by your grace, to be sons and daughters of the Most High King. And today, Lord, we continue to put our trust, our faith in you, Lord Jesus, and what you've done on the cross for us. And we are so thankful. It is hard to even with words except, I love you. Of this world fade away. Let me have light touch of the things of this world, and may I not lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge you, and 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 you shall direct my path of life. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, please stand. Please stand. And Lord bless you and keep you. If anyone here needs prayer we're here, men and women here would love to pray for you, I will hang out here to pray with you or not, I'll get you in the hallways, don't rush off, meet your brothers and sisters, fellowship, let God work through and in and through your life to help others because really that's what fellowship's all about, he says do not forsake the fellowship, it's because he wants to use you in another person's life or let someone else work in your life let God direct people into your life. That's how it works and it's a beautiful thing. Amen. Do you know if you're watching the news if you're watching what is really happening Isaiah 17, Ezekiel 37, 38 30, that is coming alive in front of us over there in Syria and in Israel. It is as clear as can be the Lord's going to come back soon and very soon. Amen. And take us home. I pray that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, a direct personal relationship with Christ. If you have not committed, trusted by faith in your life with Christ, today is the day of your salvation. We just receive that free gift from Jesus today. Accept him in your life and be forgiven. Amen? Soon and very soon. We are going to see our king soon and very soon. We are going to see our king soon and very soon. We are going to see our king. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see our king. Love you guys.